You know, and the fact that, you know, here's a teenage boy that's telling me I sold drugs yesterday, you know, and reaching out literally, because I think that's a part that a lot of people don't see about these young people and especially the way the media portrays them, that they're just scary. And like, if they just knew how many kids are like, I don't want to do this, please give me another way. And that is exactly what Teresa Goins did. She is our guest today on The New Activist. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is just a joy to be with you today. I have been so excited about sharing this interview with you because we actually recorded it about a month ago, and I've had time to sit with it a bit. And this conversation with Teresa, I think... In, in terms of the full canon of the New Activist episodes, I think this one may stand alone as a case study. In that, I mean that Teresa is helping kids get out of gangs. The Old School Cafe website says, Old School Cafe is a faith-based violence prevention program providing marketable employment skills in the restaurant industry to at-risk youth ages 16 to 22. So that's kind of like their wordy, great, condensed mission vision statement. But what's interesting is, is that, and the reason this is a case study is because Teresa really didn't have much of a background in any of these things. She simply saw a problem. We've talked about this before, right? She saw a problem and she figured out what could my next step be? And then she took that step. And then she figured out what was the next challenge. Some of it was her own challenge. You know, she she didn't have the skills she needs. So she took that next step and that next step. And what I just really have personally attached to in this interview is just the, the way she lays out how she went from a corrections officer seeing all of these young men and women coming out of gangs to running Old School Cafe. Old School Cafe is incredible. You're going to hear what it does in just a few moments, but I will tell you that I really want to go to this place. And if you are in the California area, make reservations and tell me about it because just going to their website is like, this place is so cool and I really want to be there. Um, my friend Julie Kilker, who you heard a few weeks ago interview Britt Gilmore, she is back and she's going to be interviewing Teresa for this conversation. I hope that you gain a bunch of practical insight into this, and I hope that this inspires you to take a next step. Here is Julie Kilker in conversation with Teresa Goins. I'd love to start by just talking about your personal journey and how you came um, to found Old School Cafe and and kind of what that process was like. Yeah, well, um, so right uh, my senior year of college, I did an internship with um, the probation department. My degree was in psychology and I, um, you know, had done all the typical psych um, internships and um, just wanted to try something a little different. So, um, that experience, I had a wonderful uh, supervisor that an officer that just taught me so much. And, um, and so they offered me a job. They said, when you graduate, we'd love, you know, for you to come work for the probation department and, um, specifically in the juvenile division. So I thought what well, was really interesting work, I was learning a lot. So I thought, well, I'll do that for a couple of years before I go on to get my master's and, and doctorate in psychology. Um, my thought was, you know, I knew I wanted to do something in the helping profession and was thinking uh, along the lines of a therapist, a psychologist. And um, so I started working at Juvenile Hall and they had a um, couple boot camps that were also 
lockdown facilities and started working there. And that's what changed my whole life. Um, getting to know the young people there and their stories um, and seeing, you know, teenage boys that actually had no hope for living past the age of 18 really rocked my world and what set me on a journey to find a solution to, um, you know, not just the recidivism, the cycle of, you know, kids getting in and out of jail and back and back, but also the, um, I don't know, when you see young people that don't have any hope for life, that's really, um, heartbreaking. And so, um, you know, the, the, the amount of young people that were dying at such a young age and um, those that were living didn't expect to live, that that really um, changed my life. From that realization that you had of, you know, young boys should not be just just dying, right, because of their circumstances, how did that kind of morph into the founding of, of Old School Cafe? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's definitely a long journey. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that God has taught me so much is um, it's often he shows you the next step, you know, and I'm a planner. So I love to know the next 20 steps specifically, <laughs> uh, but that's often not how he works because that's when we learn to trust. Right. And so I knew I started, um, so I started doing a lot of um, my own kind of investigation and research and asking, talking with the young men, the inmates and saying, what do you think is needed for yourself? Like you, this is your life and you, um, you know, you've been caught in this kind of um, cycle of coming back. And we would talk about dreams, which was hard for to for them to even dream. But if we could get, get there, I would say, well, what do you think you would need in order to break out of this cycle to be able to truly leave the gang and this life and, and achieve and, and get to that place that you, you think is just a fantasy, which would be, you know, what a lot of other people would have as a normal goal and dream in their life, right? To go to college, to have a family, um, to have a career that they were passionate about. And, and so what I started so a lot of it was um, that journey of listening and hearing them say, well, jobs, um, you know, we can't get jobs to start with that's, that are legal <laughs> right. because nobody will hire us because we have a felony. And um, so that was one one of the pieces that I heard. It was like, okay, there's got to be something for when these kids get out that um, a place where they, you know, an employer will will not reject them, but will give them a chance. Um, and then the second piece that I heard a lot was a sense of um, family and community because the gangs were offering that that community and that protection and support. Um, and so I thought, well, okay, so if a lot of them are having um, really traumatic situations at home, some are in foster care, others have, you know, um, dad in prison and mom's in an abusive relationship with a boyfriend. So just a lot of that sense of they're looking for a safe place that feels like home and family. Um, and so in hearing these things over and over, okay, job and a sense of community and family and a place to belong and feel like you're valued and wanted. Um, so that sort of started me on my journey of, of what's out there like that. And there's gotta be something. And, and if not, then how do I create something like that? Um, and so the first step I, um, had was, I was really bad at Spanish. Um, <laughs> so I think I, you know, got some D's and F's in my Spanish classes in high school and college. And so I knew that, um, you know, most of the young men that I was working with, probably 90%, um, were Hispanic. And when I would do exit counts, 
counseling with their parents when they were, um, when they had finished their confinement time in the program to kind of try to help, you know, integrate them back. Um, a lot of the parents didn't speak, um, English and a lot of the young men, if I ever took a trip to Mexico and I came back, you know, learning a very pitiful amount of words or, you know, um, some scenarios, I could see the immediate bridge that that built. Like, they're like, oh, you connect to that part of who I am. And I thought, wow, if my little tiny bit of understanding and um, culture I, I learned could do that, then if this is my life calling, then I need to know um, the language and culture um, like the back of my hand to really build bridges um, and create community. And so that sort of was the next step I felt like God gave me was I moved to Mexico to learn Spanish and the culture. Um, and I just stayed until I was fluent. And um, so that was kind of that next step. So all along the journey it was like asking, trying to trying to pray about what's a solution, listening, and then doing one step at a time of, of what I felt I was going to need to be prepared in order to do whatever God was going to reveal as the kind of solution. How did you first make that connection? Like, here's a problem, um, jobs, sense of family, this is what these kids are wanting, and then jump to, we should open a restaurant. <laughs> I know, right? Kind of crazy. <laughs> um, you know, so I was, you know, living in San Francisco at the time, and I really just wanted to find... Um, find something like this for the youth that I was working with. Um, I didn't necessarily, um, wasn't sure that I was going to, you know, create it all on my own, but, um, I was trying to, a lot of, I had a, a lot of youth that were trying to find employment and I had one, one young man in particular that was in my gang prevention program. Um, the, and the program was cut due to funding. So that was one of the impetus that pushed me to go, okay, we've got to create something where we make some of our own money. So we're not totally dependent on, you know, government funding or things that can be cut. And then all, cause all my, the young people in my, um, gang prevention program went downhill, um, pretty much immediately when the, when that safe space and that program was gone. And so I continued to mentor them on my own time. And, you know, the parents and the youth all have my cell number. So I said, you know, um, I'm laid off and the program has been cut, but um, I'm still here. You know, you can always call me. And so that was really hard for them because they didn't really necessarily understand layoff. They just understood you're going away mm -hmm. like everybody else, you know. And so um, one of the moms had called me because her son wasn't going to, he was not going to school. And so I said, you know, tell him I'm going to be there. You know, pick him up, take him to school, and he better be ready. And so, um, and I knew he would go if I picked him up because I built that kind of respect with him. And and a lot of it was just attention too, like somebody that would you know spend time with him. And so I picked him up, and on the way to school, he said, "Teresa, some my friends had given me um, drugs to sell yesterday." And you know, he was living in the projects and um, in in poverty, and they were their family was really struggling. And so, uh, you know money was definitely a, an issue. And he said, I, you know, if Teresa, if you could help me find a job, he's like, I won't sell drugs. Um, we really need money and I don't want to do it, but, but I was able to make a hundred bucks and it was, you know, <laughs> easy and it was fast. And, and, but if you can help me find a job, I won't do it. You know, and the fact that, you know, here's a teenage boy that's telling me <laughs> I sold drugs yesterday. Um, you know, and reaching out literally, because I think that's a part that a lot of people don't see about these young people and especially the way the media portrays them, that they're just scary and, and, um, bad and mean hearted and just like, you know, 
just want to be out on the corner selling drugs and in gangs. And it's like, if they just knew how many kids are like, I don't want to do this, please give me another way. And, um, and so tried to help them find a job, you know, and again, just, um, this scenario with a lot of kids and just, there was no, he just, nobody would hire him and, um, continued to try to encourage him not to go that route and to be patient and we keep trying, but that's, that's the reality for a lot of young people, especially young people that have, um, that have a record, uh, or anybody that has a record for that matter. And so, um, he eventually, you know, joined the gang and, um, started selling drugs and, and there with a lifestyle of, you know, incarceration and everything that I was working so hard to try to keep him out of, but I had nothing to offer him personally as far as work and, you know, or a program for that matter, because the program I had was cut. So I could mentor him here and there and try my best to, but, um, I said, that's what kind of pushed me to go. There's got to be an economic piece of this. This is key. It's got to start with offering them work and money that they can earn legally. And so I started that made me think, okay, well, what's, where are the jobs? Well, in San Francisco, it's like, you know, foodie capital. Right. Um, and I thought, and then there's hotels. So hospitality is like a huge market. And then I was like, oh my goodness, like every city has that's the one job that's probably most transferable. Every city has cafes and restaurants, even if it's a tiny little town somewhere or a big city and there's restaurants. And I thought, okay, so if that was a skill, I could help my young people get in. And then there's like so many different, you know, you could be a chef, you could be a host, a server, dishwasher. There's like, you know, 10 different things that they, so they don't have to just do one thing. And it was a job that I saw, um, was respected and that you could make really good money as servers with tips, um, or a chef, you know, it was something you didn't have to have a college degree to do. Um, there was great upward mobility. You see a lot of chefs and general managers that started as, you know, a dishwasher that worked them their way up to, you know, um, leading or sometimes owning, um, the restaurant. And so I thought, Oh my goodness, this, this feels like such a great niche for specifically what my youth need. So that was really, um, why I thought restaurants and, um, for more for the mission of how it would help kind of achieve those goals. And then I had all these talented young people when I worked, um, in the, in the jails and, um, that were, poets and singers and dancers. And I, that's where the supper club piece, I thought, how if we could have a stage that where they could show their gifts and their talents and get paid for it and get recognition for the positive things they're doing. Um, that was, that was the precipice also for having, um, having the stage. What would be the experience of, of walking into old school cafe as a customer? Yeah. So you're going to walk in, you're going to see, you know, a young man or young lady that's going to be at the host stand. So if it's a young man, he's going to be dressed with a fedora hat and a nice uh, crisp red shirt and a bow tie and suspenders going to welcome you. So it's, it's a, it's a 1920s to 1940s kind of speakeasy style supper club, uh, Harlem Renaissance uh, vibe. And so he's going to welcome you and walk you to your seat. And then you will um, then be greeted by a server. That's also a youth that will come up and take your order. I tell you a little bit about, um, ask if you've been to old school before, if not kind of give you a little bit of background about who we are. Um, and our unique menu. And then if you happen to go to the bathroom and, and on your way, peek in the kitchen, you'll see the youth are back there uh, washing dishes, cooking your food, prepping it. 
and the busers um, that are um, busers and food runners that are bringing it out to you. Um, and then you'll sit down, have a um, as your meal comes, enjoying a glass of wine and great food while you're listening to a youth um, band that is usually a jazz band. Sometimes it's a solo artist playing the piano and singing, um, and so you'll have live music by also by youth throughout your dinner. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> My goodness, I think it is too. I'm looking at the old school website right now and just the pictures of food <laughs> on the on the front of it are uh, are just enticing. It's also lunchtime, so I need to probably just go have lunch. Anyhow, I wanted to take a moment and remind you that The New Activist is presented by IJM. IJM is working to end slavery in our lifetime, and we need your help in order to accomplish that. In fact, it is dependent upon you. To that end, would you go to newactivist.is forward slash IJM, newactivist.is IJM, and fill out the form that you see there. This form will generate a letter, and this letter will be sent to all of your elected officials, asking them, please, to fund really groundbreaking legislation in the fight to end slavery. You can get into the weeds, learn all about it on that website, newactivist.is IJM. But I would ask you, if you are listening to The New Activist and you enjoy it, please know that the reason that it is free and brought to you for free is because of IJM and helping return the favor by going to New Activist is IJM would be a very big deal, not just for IJM and for The New Activist, but for the 45 million people who are in slavery today. All right, back to the second part of the conversation between Julie and Teresa. Can't wait for you to hear this. So I'd love to talk about kind of the challenging aspects of working with youth and specifically in this context. What are the hardest things that you guys come up against? Well, because specifically the target, um, population that we're working with are youth that many that are coming right out of jail um, and that don't have much um, support and often have a lot of trauma in their lives and in their family. Um, that's, you know, you're going to have young people that, that feel a lot of pain and anger and thus anger <laughs> um, and don't trust uh, for good reason um, that haven't necessarily all had a lot of um, support in learning how to be um, consistent and how to push through and follow up, you know, so, so you're going to have, um, you know, it takes a while to help them learn how to be, um, to not call out or, you know, um, stay out doing things they shouldn't the night before and then be like, oh, I can't come in and, um, you know, just teaching responsibility. So those things are, are challenging as you're trying to run a business. Um, and that just takes a while uh, for some of Some are quicker than others, but um, working through how to not give up when things are hard. Um, and I think, so the challenge of a, running a business um, with youth that are learning, still learning how to be responsible and how to not, um, you know, just give in to whatever emotion they're feeling at the time, whether that's, you know, I'm angry, so I'm just going to, you know, um, go off or I'm going to just not show up for work. I'm going to walk off the job because somebody upset me or, you know, and you need to keep the restaurant running. Um, there's, there's that, those challenges. Um, but what's unique about it is 
it's the best way to learn those things. Like as hard as it is to keep things running while those things are happening, because we're creating an atmosphere where they really are needed and we really are depending on them. It's different than if they were just there kind of shadowing and it really didn't, we would still be able to run it just as well, whether they were there or not. Um, The fact that they are needed and that we depend on them is part of what helps create that change because they know that, you know, their peers and and their team are depending on them, that they're necessary, that they're needed, um, that they're wanted. And so makes a challenge for us, for sure, uh, but it's part of what makes the model um, work. So for for our listeners, do you have words of advice for them as to, to where to start, how to make a difference, even if it's just a small one? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if particular on this issue, there's so, there's some really amazing organizations that are doing great work. And so um, I would always say first, if there's something um, that exists that's near you or a way you can get involved, you know, plug in in that way, you know, start to volunteer, um, kind of learn how you can get on board and, and support great work that's already happening. Um And so that would kind of be a first place. There's also, you know, always um, when I worked as an officer, there's so many, there's very little for a lot of young people that are incarcerated. So I'd always be like, oh, I wish, you know, more churches or more groups would come in and do, you know, do groups and activities and things with the youth because they're usually really lonely and really bored (laughs) on the inside. So there's a lot of great, I think there's not enough um, people going into the prisons and the jails. Um, so that's another, you know, to kind of see what, what churches or what groups are going in and doing things. Um, and then if it's something specific, if you feel like there's, you know, you have a vision that, you know, that God's given you specific, that isn't already, already happening. Um, it's, I just started with pilots, you know, I just started stepping out. Here's what I think, like I did it out of my home for years. And so I, um, I was a salsa dancer at the time. And so my friends owned a salsa club. And so they would let me do pop-up events there. Um, I did pop-up events there and out of my home and out of restaurants on days when they were closed. And so I just started with very little overhead, trying the idea um, in real life and seeing how it worked. And so if you have a vision or an idea, don't feel like you got to have it all figured out or do some big, like have all the money and do some big scale, just do a little thing in your house or do a little, you know, um, a small version of a pilot to kind of learn and see, does this work how it is in my head? And then you can get feedback from people and you can kind of try it that way. So that's probably one of my biggest advice for taking small steps to just get started. I love that advice because I do think it is a stumbling block for so many people, even friends I've talked to who have a vision for something and, you know, the, the pressure of having everything just big and beautiful and amazing right at launch, mm-hmm. um, when we just need to take those small steps in faith, uh, right. where we are. So that's, that's great advice. Um, well, and I would just encourage, um, your listeners too, that you don't usually hear about any of these great things until they're great. Right. And so nobody, when it's still in the, in the, the non-sexy stage and it's clunky and, and it doesn't, 
you know, don't know if it's going to work. Like nobody's interviewing you. Right. And so what happens is often people think, oh, well, they just must have had it figured out or they just, you know, had this great idea and just made it happen. But it's because you hadn't seen the eight years before when nobody wanted to, you know, when you couldn't get in the door, nobody wanted to hear about your idea. (laughs) Um, You know, and so I think just as encouragement, I had no idea how to do this. And I had years of being laughed out of the room and where people wouldn't give me the time of day and they thought it was a pie in the sky idea. And you know, that I didn't have funding and that it felt like it was never going to get off the ground. And, you know, and it didn't look like it looks now. And so just as that encouragement that it didn't happen overnight, I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. Felt like, who am I to try to do this? I had to ask lots of questions and get lots of advice and try things that, you know, didn't always work. So it's that most everybody that, that have something that we look at, if you saw the backstory, you go, oh, well, then I could have done that too. <laughs> How would you define activist? Um, that's a good question. Acting, acting on what you are passionate about. I think that's probably the, um, I mean, that, that's a really great um, question because I think often people feel um, passionate about things or there's something moves them, but they feel stuck. Like, like the problem's too big and who am I and what could I actually do? And I think what makes an activist is somebody that um, just takes action and starts somewhere and does something, um, not afraid to fail, not afraid to look dumb, not afraid to not have all the answers, but, but sees a problem or an injustice and acts on it and is willing to learn along the way. Um, and probably my favorite phrase, Joyce Meyer's, um, um, is one of my favorite speakers and she had, I remember listening to one of her, um, teachings where she said, do it afraid. And I thought that's so true that often we look at people and we think, oh, they're just, they have these amazing abilities and, you know, they're not afraid and they just do these great things. And she's like, no, a lot of people that are doing things, they're, they're terrified, but they just do it afraid anyway. And I thought, that is so good. So whenever I'm feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm so scared, or this is overwhelming, it's like, okay, God, help me to just take action and do it afraid and trust you to show up in the middle. Well, I think that is just one of the best definitions of activists and really just inspiring to hear that we can walk into the fear and take a single step. I know I'm kind of a broken record with this, but over and over again, as I think back on all the interviews we have done as a part of The New Activist, I am amazed by how many people have said the same thing, which is essentially just do something. See the thing in front of you and do that, and then trust that the next step will come. I am grateful for Teresa and the fact that she has done that and now is running this amazing program, oldschoolcafe.org. You can go there, learn more, read, make reservations. If you're in the San Francisco area, definitely make a reservation. I just went on Yelp and Yelp is like the great equalizer because people are just (laughs) kind of mean on Yelp and the Yelp reviews are wonderful. The pictures of food are wonderful. And so this place is for so many reasons, very, very legit. Again, the website is Old School Cafe, and it's school like S-K-O-O-L. So oldschoolcafe.org. Spend some time on that site. Read, learn more, give, eat, all of those good things. And then go take your own next steps. 
A special thank you to The Brilliant Music, one of my favorite bands. I have said that about a thousand times. I can probably quit saying it. I love The Brilliant, and they scored our show today. You can find out about where they are touring and listen to more of their music at thebrilliancemusic.com. You can also find us, us being the new activist, on social media, Facebook, Twitter. All of the handles are matching. New activist is one word. New activist is... Before we go, a quick reminder to support the work of IJM, the work that you are doing, and that is the work of ending slavery. Please go to newactivistis/ijm. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Teresa Goins and the Old School Cafe, as well as Julie Kilker, the Relevant Podcast Network, and all of my colleagues at IJM, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. Thank you for listening to the New Activist Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And for more Relevant Podcast Network shows, check out the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com.